Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Ooh, anybody want to go back? I feel like I'm a little loud. Maybe I'm not. That was our trip to Guatemala spring break. Of course, there are many other trips over the course of this next year and the year after and until the Lord comes back. So buckle up. We're going to keep going. Let's pray. Father, we love you for who you are and for what you're accomplishing through our people. We are hopeless sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And because of your infinite glory and wisdom and love for us, Father, you have used us to accomplish the greatest things (laughs) or to accomplish your kingdom purposes that will last for eternity. And we are forever indebted to you for that, and we praise you and worship your name, Lord. I pray for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray as we open the truth of your words, you would speak very clearly to us, Father. I pray for the churches of our area. Lord, it's not just about what we're doing. It's about what you're doing through us and many other churches. And so I pray for the pastors, Lord, that are preparing to preach. For the precious people of all the churches of this area and the surrounding areas, Father, all over the world. And Lord, I specifically pray this morning for First Baptist Church on the square. I I pray for Cade Ferris, for what he's doing, Lord, for his heart. Lord, he's been there for a short time, but I know you're already using him. Father, bless his ministry. Bless that church. Lord, may you do great things through them and through their people. And Father, may you work this morning in every pulpit in Troop County and in Georgia and around the world so your name can receive honor and glory. Father, help us through the power of your spirit to be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis 44. Genesis 44. We're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is we've got four more weeks in the study of Genesis. Four weeks. The good news is we've got four more weeks in the study of Genesis. So depending on which side of the coin you're on, we've got four more weeks in the study of Genesis. I've been excited about this study, I feel like, the last several weeks, especially in just talking to you and how the Lord is using this study in my life, I feel like it's just been very personal to me. And the things that I study and I learn about Joseph and about his brothers and how God is using him and speaking through him and how this story is kind of flowing together. And, and so the, I just want to kind of give you the big picture over the next few weeks how this is going to play out because this story, really the last several chapters, kind of beginning a, a week or so ago through the end, really have to kind of be taught in blocks. They kind of go together. It's difficult to divide it based on chapters because it's the same story. And so we're going to kind of take the next four weeks and teach kind of the four big ideas over the latter part of the book of Genesis, the last several chapters, because it only goes to 50 chapters. And so I want to just kind of show you where we're going to go, remind you where we're going to be today or where we've been, and then we're going to delve in in chapter 44 into the specifics of the text. But I want you to see the big picture because we said last week we've been studying Joseph 
We moved into his brothers last week and we saw how God was working through the brothers and kind of speaking to their hearts in different sort of ways and, and really awakening and reawakening within their hearts something that maybe they hadn't experienced in a, in a great number of years. And so we talked about how the Lord was just working through the difficult times of life and working through other people and working through his grace to demonstrate himself again to the brothers. And so that, that process of God working in their hearts and speaking to them and using other people in their lives is going to lead us this morning to this place of repentance. God's going to work in the lives of the brothers and lead them to a place of repentance. And we're going to delve into that in a few minutes specifically what that means. But here's where this is going to lead. And this is, this is the beautiful picture. I used an analogy earlier in the week with somebody I was talking and, and the comment that this person made to me was they just had never kind of put the stories together. They knew some of the stories of Genesis and some of the stories of the Old Testament, but they didn't realize they were pieced together. And there's this meta-narrative, there's this big picture story that begins in Genesis 1 with creation and, and really flows all the way through the book of Revelation. There's a story that flows throughout Scripture. And this person said, you know, I knew there was something there, but I'd never quite pieced the individual accounts together and, and, and made this story make sense. And the analogy I've used, and I've used it with you just to kind of help you understand Imagine if you walked into a bookstore and pulled a novel off the shelf, a book you've never read, never heard about, not familiar with, and you randomly opened that novel to a page and you read three or four pages in that novel. That little bit that you read may make a little sense to you. You may could understand that story uh, in part, but you'd have no idea the grand story of the novel until you read the whole novel, Right? We all understand that. That makes sense. But for some reason, we don't get that with the Bible. There's a grand story here. It flows throughout. And so one of the things we've done through the book of Genesis is, is kind of began, at least, to piece that story together, to piece together the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so now we're into Joseph's brothers. And today, because of what God has done, we're going to see this idea of repentance. But watch this. This is the beautiful picture. Repentance this week is going to lead to forgiveness next week. Now, I think this is an incredible study right now, but I'm telling you, ver chapter 45 of, of all the studies we're going to see in Joseph, to me, is kind of the, the, it's the, whatever words you want to use, this is the big one, right? The coup de grace, whatever you want to use. It's the main point, right? It's the picture of the forgiveness. Is that, is that the right word? Is that the right word, coup de grace? Somebody knows what they're talking about. Yes? Huh? Okay, well, that may be right. We'll, we'll edit that out of the pot. I'll make myself sound good on the internet, I promise you that. It'll be like, this is up, and it'll sound, some of the voice will have the real word, and then me talking again. It's the big one. It's the main, it's the main point of the text in verse chapter 45. It's the forgiveness, right? So repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness is going to lead to reconciliation. This is what we're seeing, right? Because the brothers have been fragmented. Dad's been fragmented. Joseph is apart, right? They're all separated from each other. So repent. And this is, just translate this to our lives. Repentance leads to forgiveness, leads to reconciliation. It's always the picture of the gospel. Always. It's a picture of your life, or it can be. And then the coolest part, the kind of the fourth part at the very end of the, of, of the book of Genesis is the rise of Judah. Right? Judah is the 
tribe. We've kind of talked about the tribes of Israel. Messiah will come through the line of Judah. And so there's all these pictures in Judah's life, we'll see towards the end, that are going to point us to Christ. And so the the story is going to continue, but we're not going to get to that point until we understand what's happening in Genesis chapter 43 and 44. So here's what I'll do this morning. We finished up chapter 42. I want to summarize 43 and then delve in specifically to chapter 44. Genesis chapter 42. You may remember the story we left off. The brothers had come to see see Joseph. They didn't know who Joseph was. Uh, Joseph knew who they were. So they sent, uh, they had this conversation. Joseph fills their sacks up, sends them back home. They go home. That's where we left it off. He kept one of the brothers in jail, Simeon's in jail, and the brothers are home with dad. Now they eventually, in chapter 43, run out of grain again. And they say to dad, they say to Jacob, dad, we got to go back to Egypt and get some more grain. But this guy told us if we didn't bring Benjamin with us, the younger brother, this guy's not going to let Simeon out of jail. And there's this interesting discussion in, uh, in Genesis chapter 44 between Jacob and, excuse me, Genesis 43 between Jacob, uh, the father, and the sons, in which he finally decides to allow Benjamin to go, kind of against his better wishes. And so Benjamin, along with the other brothers, return to Egypt. He releases Joseph, releases the brother. He gives him this big feast. Now just follow with me. This is big picture stuff. Joseph feeds the brothers, gives them grain again, sends them on their way back home. But before he does, he does something very interesting. He takes his silver cup. Now this is Joseph, second in charge of all of Egypt. He takes his silver cup and he hides it in Benjamin's kind of satchel, his backpack. And he says to his chief steward listen when these guys get out of town i want you to follow them home stop them tell them we think they've stolen something something and search them and so sure enough the guys leave they head back home towards canaan the steward chases after them he finds them and pick up in genesis 44 i'll read a couple of verses in verse 11 and 12 before we get into the me to what we're going to look at. Genesis 44, look at verse 11. He's caught up with them. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it, right? So he's searching their bags. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, right? It was planted there by Joseph, but it was found. At this, they, these are the brothers, tore their clothes, right? This is a sign of mourning, you read oftentimes in Scripture that people would tear their clothes and they would pour ashes over themselves. This was a sign of great mourning. Then they all loaded their donkeys and they returned to the city, right? We're going back now to Egypt. They've made it halfway home. They've been searched. This gold, this silver cup is in the sack of the youngest brother's backpack. They find it. They tear their clothes. They know they're in really bad trouble. And they now return to Egypt. Now just, just watch this. This is important. Because in our minds, this is a bad thing. We're like, oh man, they they just about gotten out of town. <laughs> they just about made it home. But watch this. We've said this several times through this story. God's plans for us, God's plans are always far greater than our own plans, right? We've kind of seen that with Joseph over and over. These brothers hoped, this was the brother's plan. Let's get to Egypt. Let's produce Benjamin, our youngest brother. We'll get Simeon back. We're all together again. We're going to go home with grain. Their grand scheme was to get out of Egypt alive with enough food to feed their family. That was their plan. 
But God is going to show them over the next few chapters that his plan is far greater than theirs. Because here's, what's God, here's what God's about to do to these brothers. God is going to give them, and I'm going I'm to kind of walk through this and explain this. God is going to give them an opportunity to repent of their sins. Now, some of you are thinking, that's a good thing? <laughs> See, here's what the Lord understands that, that we just miss. Sin leads to death. When God gives us an opportunity to repent, it's a picture of his grace. You understand that? Otherwise, our sin would continue to grow and lead us to death. So it's a difficult thing to go through. It's hard to stomach. It's hard to read. God's going to, I hope this morning kind of hits you between the eyes because we don't like to talk about sin and repentance. What we like to do instead is sweep it under the rug. But God says, listen to me, if you'll just trust me and believe that my word is real, then you'll know that that sin will eventually lead you to death. The only hope you have is repentance. And praise God, sometimes he puts us in the moments and the opportunities so we can repent of our sins and not receive judgment. It's a picture of the grace of the Lord. And so God has orchestrated this whole situation to bring these brothers back in contact with their brother Joseph. They still don't know who it is. To give them now this opportunity for repentance. And we're going to pick up the story now in Genesis 44 beginning in verse 14. Genesis 44 beginning in verse 14. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, right? They've kind of now come in. They've found the, the stolen cup. They've returned. They threw themselves to the ground before them, right? They're just going to fall out before Joseph. They know they're in a bad place. Joseph said to them, which, by the way, we'll get there in just a second, but what a picture of how we ought to respond to the Lord when we find ourselves in a bad place. Joseph said to them, what is this you've done? Don't you know the man like me can find things out by divination, right? He's talking about the dreams and the visions. What can we say, my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? Now, just, just watch this. This is fascinating what happens from one sentence to the next, right? Judah says, how can we prove our innocence, right? We didn't steal the cup. But look what he says in the very next phrase. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We didn't steal the cup. But God is revealing to us guilt of things past that we've done. We are now, my Lord, slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup, right? So Jacob, Joseph, Judah says, sorry, we're all your slaves, right? And look at what Joseph says in verse 17. But Joseph said to him, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. That's Benjamin now. That's the youngest brother, the one who dad didn't want to send, the one who dad begged to protect on the journey back. So the rest of you go to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, now we're going to begin, this is kind of the beginning of the rise of Judah. I used that phrase a few minutes ago, right? He's going to begin to take some leadership here. Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. Now let's pause before we get into what he actually says, and I want to give you the first truth. I want you to imagine as we walk through this passage of Scripture, a parallel this is important. This, makes, this will help it make sense to you. The parallel here is between Judah and the brothers and Joseph as compared to us and the Lord. So in the parallel, the brothers are kind of like us. 
Joseph is kind of like the Lord. And these brothers come to Joseph to repent. I want you to see in their life how they act and what repentance looks like and then begin to translate that idea of repentance in their lives into our lives. So here's truth number one. Repentance begins with a proper understanding of our place before the Lord. Repentance begins with a proper understanding of our place before the Lord. Now, I want to define repentance for you because I don't want it to be a churchy word that we don't get and don't quite understand what it means. I want to be clear because we're going to be talking about this throughout this text this morning. Here's what repentance mean, means. Repentance means to turn from sin and turn toward the things of the Lord. That's the simple definition. Now, we used to do faith, the faith evangelism strategy. Some of you guys, some of you guys did that with us. We're trained in faith. We used to say something like this. When you're explaining repentance to somebody, you can use this very simple example. If you're driving down the road and somebody asks you to turn, what would they mean? Well, simply enough, they mean you change direction, right? If you're going this way and you're going to turn, you've got to now go some other direction. That's what repentance means. If you're heading down this path of sin, separated from the Lord, repentance means that you turn away from that sin back to the things of the Lord. Now, I just want to be real clear because I don't want to mistake this. I don't want anybody to be confused. Repentance does not simply mean that you're sorry or feel bad about what you've done. There's a difference. Some would say, you know, I've been doing this thing in my life and I, and I know I'm sinning. I know, that, I know this is not what the Lord calls me to do and I feel really bad about it. I'm still doing it, but I feel really bad about doing it. That's not repentance. You can't just simply feel sorry for something and continue in the same lifestyle. Repentance biblically is when you say, listen, this is wrong. I feel sorry about it. It's not a true according to the, the words of God. I need to do something different. I'm going to turn from that sin. I'm going to quit doing this sin and instead turn to the things of the Lord. Here's how one writer explained it. Repentance is more than a change of mind or feeling sorry for one's sins. It's a radical and deliberate turning or returning to God that results in moral and ethical change and reaction. It's not simply feeling bad. It's the idea of turning from sin, turning from self, and turning to the Lord. Now, I want to just plant a seed in your heart just for a minute here before I continue to read through this text because there's some other things I want you to see that are important. Here's the seed I want to plant. What do you need to repent of today? You say, I'm already a believer. I've, I've repented of my sins. Then, then Christ has covered those sins. But we understand as a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes it's very easy for us to get mired in sin and get caught up in sin. We need to remember that Christ still forgives sins, but we should be repenting on a regular basis of the sin that we commit in our lives. Lord, forgive me. Help me get back in right standing with you. Help me find your will again in my life. Forgive me of what I've been doing. Father, put me back on the right path. Now, the idea of repentance is found throughout the Scripture. In fact, if you were to spend some time reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'd find over and over and over again this word repentance is used. And I want to give you just a few examples just to kind of make this point biblically. Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he ascends into heaven, told them in Luke 24, 
verses 46 and 47. This is what is written, the words of Christ. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And, here's the word, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So what should we be preaching to the nations? Repentance of our sins in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's exactly what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. The disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, went out and preached that the people should repent. Acts chapter, three, verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts chapter 20, verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance means turning from sin and self toward the things of the Lord. But here's what we need to understand about what Judah gets that sometimes we miss. The first step in repentance is understanding our place before the Lord. See, the first thing we have to understand before we can actually repent is that God is holy and we're not. And that's a hard thing for us sometimes to get because here's what we want to do with God. We want to take God and we want to take Christ and we want to put him on our level and we want to talk about him kind of being our best friend, our buddy and our pal. And, and I would agree with those things in a sense. He does stick closer than a brother. He is with us. He walks through tragedy with us. He loves us. He's right there with us every step of the way. But he's not just like he's our pal. He's the holy creator of the universe. And, and if we're not careful, we kind of diminish him a little bit and diminish him a little bit and diminish him a little bit and diminish him a little bit until he becomes our friend. And our friends oftentimes will overlook our sins, won't they? And they'll help us just kind of sweep it under the rug. But the Bible is very clear time and time and time again that repentance begins by understanding that we serve a holy God. Jacob understands that. Judah understands that. Joseph understands it. Look at verse 14 again. Pull that up for me, Stephen, if you would. Verse 14. Look at how the brothers began this process with Joseph. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. You see that? Just a, just a word of advice scripturally. When you come to the Lord, you should do it throwing yourself to the ground. Now, you don't necessarily have to do it physically, although I think there's, a, there's an awful lot of good sometimes in kneeling down and, and kind of prostrating yourself as you, as you pray. But we have to understand that the position that we find ourselves in when we serve a holy God. Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father, it's all about position. Think about positionally speaking right here. When you pray, do it like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We begin a prayer by understanding his power and his majesty and his glory, that he is a holy God and we're not. That puts us in the right frame of mind. Anytime we go to South Asia, I'm just amazed at the people there, and, and some of you have been with us and some of you have seen the pictures. But these people worship millions of gods, literally. 
And one of the ways they do it in the city in which we go, there's a, there's a, a major river. It's a very holy river for them, kind of the holy river for them. And every morning they go down to this river. Now, they think it's a holy river that will cleanse them from their sins. What we understand is that it's one of the most polluted rivers in the world, literally. And you can do the research and read about it if you'd like. But they go down into this river, they drink the water. They bathe in it. And every morning they get out in the water and they'll stand about waist deep and they'll begin to just do rituals. They'll bow down, they'll splash water up, they'll pour water on their heads, they'll drink water, they'll, they'll pick water up in a kind of an urn type thing and offer it to the God. Why are they doing that? It's in submission to their God. They're bowing down. They're worshiping their God. See, they're, they're, they're completely wrong in their worldview and their theology, but at least they get the idea of submission. And I think... I want to be careful how I phrase this, but I think maybe at least in that particular part of their religion, we can learn some things from them. Because we don't like to bow down and worship oftentimes, do we? We don't like to understand that God is completely in charge and we're not. We don't like to submit to the things of the Lord because we want to be in control. But if we're going to understand our relationship with Christ, if we're going to understand this idea of repentance, it begins by bowing down and recognizing his position, recognizing our place before a holy God. The brothers get that. Now let's continue verse 19. So Judah's going to kind of recount this story. He's going to talk about these things that have taken place. And I want to skip just a little bit for the sake of time down to verse 27. Your father, my servant, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Right now, Judah now is talking to Joseph. And he's talking specifically there in verse 27 about Benjamin and Joseph. These are the two sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, right? This is what they think happened to Joseph. And I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father. So Judah is saying to Joseph, listen, if, if Benjamin is not with us when I go back, uh, and, if I, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Verse 33, now then, please... Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with the brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Now, there's a lot there. I want to kind of think through that, but here's truth number two. Let me give you kind of the big picture. As we think about repentance, it begins with a humble spirit before the Lord first. Secondly, Repentance means we honestly admit our sins. That's, that's repentance. We realize our standing before the Lord. He's holy, we're not. Number two, repentance means we honestly admit our sins. Now, we talked last week about how the Lord was doing kind of a work in the hearts of these men. Now, I didn't go into great detail because we, we studied this as we kind of walked through Genesis, but these brothers over the years, have done some horrific things. More than just being dishonest and lying. 
I mean, all sorts of sin is found throughout their lives. And so God, in chapter 42 last week, kind of was beginning to, to remind them of that sin. Remind them of how they'd stepped away from the Lord. And they said, you don't, have to, you don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen to what they said. This was from last week, Genesis 42, 21, right? We're seeing that God's working in their hearts. Surely we're being punished because of our brother, right? They're thinking about Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life with us, but he would not listen. That's why the distress now has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you would not listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. And so we're seeing that God's working in their hearts, molding them, shaping them, changing their mind, reminding them specifically of their sin. And this is part of repentance. And so I want to give you kind of two subpoints very quickly that I want you to get that are important. You say, how do, how do we honestly admit our sins? Right, if I'm going to repent before the Lord and I begin to realize he's holy and I'm not, and I've got to be honest about my sins, how do I honestly confess and repent, my, repent of my sins to the Lord? There, there are two things. Here's the first one. Number one, be truthful. Don't justify or cover up your sin. If you're going to be honest with the Lord, you need to be honest with the Lord. Right, we, we live in a world where we cover things up and justify things and feel good about our sins because other people are doing them. And I, I just want to kind of speak truth to that j- just for a second because we, in case you didn't know this, kind of newsflash, we live in a kind of messed up world, don't we? And that's maybe the understatement of the morning. And it doesn't take long to realize that things are just, they're out of whack and I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I read articles now, and I really, some, I mean, this week, especially with, with what's going on with Target, and I'm not talking about that this morning, that may be another sermon, but I literally researched that because I thought it was fake. Did any of you do that? I thought, it was, I thought somebody made it up. It was one of those satire sites, like, oh, no, no, they're not really doing that. They're really doing that. But I, I think in the world that we live in, if not now, then maybe no time like this in history, we have to understand that God has kind of given us this clear picture of what life ought to look like. He's given us the clear difference between right and wrong. And it does, let me just, let me speak to this, because I, I, I want you to understand what I'm saying here and be very clear with this. It doesn't matter what other people say. Young person, it doesn't matter what your best friend thinks. Doesn't matter what your brother or sister may think. It really doesn't matter what your parents think. It doesn't matter all it doesn't matter what other people it's not really about their opinions. It's not about the world's opinion. It's not about corporate America's opinion. It's not about a political figure's opinion. It's, none of those things are important when we really get down to it because God has given us right and wrong here. He said, This is truth, this is not. And if we're not real careful, we fall into the trap of the world of beginning to justify sin. And I'm going to step on your toes right now because there's somebody we love desperately in our life that's doing it. And so we justify it. You've had those conversations, I have too. It's clearly sin, but we know somebody that's doing it. We love them dearly, and so we begin to justify their actions. We begin to justify their sin. That's a very slippery slope. 
And if we're going to be honest about what the Lord wants to do in our hearts and how he wants to use us, if we're going to kind of find ourselves in this place of repentance by recognizing his holiness and recognizing our sinfulness, we can only do that by being honest about what we've done and where we've been. And Lord, we've made this mistake and we need you to forgive us. And that's the second sub-point. Number two, if we're going to be honest about our sins, we've got to realize that our sins are actually against God. You understand that? Now, I don't have time this morning to get into this. This is a whole theological issue that some of you may have not considered before. But when you sin against this person, yes, this person is involved. But the only way we know right and wrong is because God has given us his word to tell us the difference. You understand that? You lied to your buddy, you think you sinned against him. Well, he was affected by your lie. But the only reason you know it's a sin is because God commanded in his scripture, don't lie. And so every time we sin, other people are affected, but it's actually a sin against the Lord. So Genesis 44, 16, pull that back up for me if you would, please, very quickly as I wind this thing down. Just stay with me. Genesis 44, 16, what can we say, my Lord, Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence, right? We didn't steal the cup, but God has uncovered your servant's guilt. See that? We, we, we know we did all these things wrong. We, we know we sinned against all these people. But ultimately, our sin is against the Lord and against his standards. So finishing up now in verse 33 and 34. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. Right, I'm going to take his place. Right, Let him go, Judah says. I'll stay. Right, We see leadership here. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Here's truth number three. Repentance kind of puts us in a, a place of understanding God's holiness. Repentance helps us see the, the, the truth of our sins. And then number three, repentance means giving yourself for the Lord. If I'm going to repent, Lord, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want to do. It's no longer about the path I want to walk. Lord, it's all about you. And Judah says, listen, I want to take the place of my brother. Now, we said this already. We said it last week, but we're going to see it more and more as we kind of wind this thing down. As we think about one person taking the place for another person's mistakes, it's a picture of Christ, isn't it? Here it is again. Judah says, I'm going to stand in the gap for this brother. Even though he's been accused of this sin, I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to take his place. Christ says, I want to stand in the gap for you. I want to take your place. For the sins you've committed and the things you've done wrong and the way in which you've separated yourself from the Lord, Christ says, I will stand in your place. Now, I want to close this morning and just invite you to the invitation with with kind of two thoughts in mind. So just let's kind of wind this down with two thoughts in mind. There's kind of two areas of repentance this morning. One, for the Christian. I said this a few minutes ago, but if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've maybe been dabbling in sin, maybe it's an actual event or an act, maybe it's just a thought, Maybe it's an attitude. The Holy Spirit can speak to you about that. But if you've kind of been dabbling in that, you should repent of that. There should be kind of 
constant and consistent opportunities in our lives as believers that we are repenting of the sins in our lives so we can continue to draw near to the Lord. So that's the first type of repentance. But the second type of repentance is for the person that's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I know on a church this side, there, this side there are people that have never prayed to receive Christ. And I just want to be very clear with you. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I just, this is kind of eternity in the balance here. Just because you've said a prayer at some point in your life doesn't necessarily mean you've actually received Christ. Because I believe scripturally, and I think I can back this up, I did already with some truth that we see in the Gospels. Unless there's repentance, salvation isn't real. Are you saying, oh, he's telling me I'm not saved. No, 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 that's between you and the Lord. I would never presume to do that, but I would say to you, examine the truth of Scripture. If you just said a couple of words years and years ago and nothing ever came of it, I believe I'd re-examine some things. And I don't, I don't want you to miss that. And so at the altar today, I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you need to repent, and I, I want to free you up for something too, by the way, because some people say, you know, I, if I go pray at the altar, people know that I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I promise you, I'll be praying for repentance right now as some of you are coming down as well. But I just want to open up this opportunity, no matter where you are, to remind you that through Christ, there is always the forgiveness of sins. And he will do great things in your heart if you just let him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth you've given us. Thank you for the words that you've shown us, Father. Thank you for uh, the power of Christ in our lives. Thank you how you worked in Joseph's life and in his brother's lives. Father, I pray that we would just wrestle a little bit right now with this idea of repentance. I pray we just kind of reexamine our hearts. We're going to ask the difficult question of, of our hearts and our minds and, and what we need to repent of now. Maybe some of us have strayed away. Maybe there are others that have never accepted. But I pray right now, Father, you just remove the confusion and the barriers in our heart, Lord, and just let us to sense and to see your truth very clearly. And I pray you would speak to us in a mighty and powerful way for your honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to open up the altar. It's your time to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.